I'm still trying to figure out the three seashells. I mean, so is everybody else. But, I mean, we know. almost hit that level during this pandemic. Listen, I, I've been really legitimately actively curious about how to figure out those three seashells. Because, I mean, they, they were laughing at the idea of using paper to push your, your poop around. I mean, so that means that clearly this three seashells concept is far superior I think you like hold it like a clamp, like you clip it like a with the shells and pinch it off, and then you use one to like scoop in the end. I think that's. What oh you yeah, do. like do do you poop into it? Is there like a bidet thing? Welcome to the show, the new show, the improved show, possibly improved show, a show that will have a new name soon enough after we get everything together. And by we, I mean myself, a longtime friend, first time co-host who's going to give us his own introduction today. Hey everyone, I am Antonio. I have been summoned from my previously smoke-filled cave, which now just smells of stagnant alcohol and sadness. But here I am nonetheless. Uh, I have been on the show before, and it's a pleasure to be here as your new co-host. Yeah, it's weird how the timing kind of happened on that, where the last episode we posted, you were there for like most of it, as we talked about sci-fi. So I think it's only fitting that we can continue that conversation today at some point. Absolutely, but, it's been a fun, fun sci-fi summer. But there is actually something I wanted to start off with today that we talked about briefly, and that's the PS5 was revealed today, and what it actually looks like, and the specs, and a bunch of games. Yeah, the uh, the memes have already started to come out on that pretty heavily, and I think the best one I've seen so far is the uh, the Gordon Ramsay meme where he's sandwiching his uh, his his uh, apprentice chef. He's like, "What am I?" And she goes, "A PlayStation 5. Yes, the router to end all routers. I actually think it looks pretty good. It, it, to, at least to me, it it uh it reminds me of the aesthetic of like a really streamlined kind of like a space shuttle with the with the white and the black. Uh, I, I think it's uh, it's actually pretty good looking, despite you know a lot of the naysayers and the funky shapes. But I mean, you know, who can who can really sit around and complain about funky shapes when we've had a whole generation of people enjoying all the weird Nintendo consoles that have come out and all of the funny shapes they've you know come out with? Yeah, let's not even go with the way the Wii U looks. But I guess compared yeah. to the way the Xbox looks, the PS5 is mighty sexy because the Xbox just looks like a PC tower. It's because it's just a PC. But it doesn't do as much. I know. I know. Anyway, some of the games that got announced. We get a new Ratchet and Clank coming, which looks really cool. But I think I'm actually, some of the ones I'm more excited for are the Horizon Zero Dawn sequel and Spider-Man Miles Morales. I would really like to talk about, uh, not not a PlayStation-specific release, but something that I haven't gotten a chance to mention with you yet. Uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla looks awesome. And that is also going to be releasing alongside the Xbox release when it comes out. Yeah, that looks really cool. I haven't played Assassin's Creed, and I'm going to be honest, I haven't played Assassin's Creed since, like, Assassin's Creed 2. Oh my goodness, you missed out. It's a series I didn't really get way into. Mm-hmm. I, It was fun, I enjoyed it, I just never really felt in the urge to go pick up pick it up every year, because I'm just i I'm one of those that I don't usually buy yearly release games. Mm-hmm. And usually there's a reason for that, is that even the Assassin's Creed series suffered from it for a while from franchise fatigue. Uh, look at Assassin's Creed 3 I didn't want to buy because it didn't look great. Black Flag looks good, though, so I may have to go pick that up for my Switch. 
I liked Assassin's Creed 3. I thought it was pretty good. It was you, it was a bit revolutionary in that you actually got to jump through the trees, uh, which is something that we'd actually complained about as fans for a while. It's like, let me get this straight. I can climb up any number of buildings. I can jump on horses. I can do all sorts of crazy acrobatics and stab a man in the neck from like a falling distance. But you mean to tell me I can't climb a tree? Like, I, I, there's, a, there's a bit of consistency issue there, uh, especially when we're talking about like having gone through so many iterations between... Uh, Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed 2, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, then Assassin's Creed Revelations. So we're four games in, and we still can't climb a damn tree. Nope. But they got it right finally, even though, uh, and respectfully so, you know, like the one thing I didn't like about Assassin's Creed 3 is that I felt like the world was very empty. And I understand why. You're, you're in colonial America, it's a lot of, you know, forest land in the northeast, uh, colonial towns, and there's really not much to it. A lot of the architecture is the same. Uh, it's not really a, a sexy landscape to come across, but I mean, at the same time, like, I don't know. Uh, I think, too, that, that that was the era of them focusing far too much on multiplayer mode, so the one-player mode, uh, the single-player storyline, rather, uh, tended to suffer a bit. Um, you saw that really uh, prominently in Assassin's Creed Revelations, In uh, and I'm sorry, spoiler alerts ahead, but the game's been out for over ten years, so you're kind of at a loss here. Um when you go back as uh, as Altair and you're doing these memory things, and there's really really glitchy, uh, both on the uh, the impact detection uh, as well as the computer AI for a lot of your enemies and your ally NPCs, it's just really weird. Um, and it's because they were focusing so heavily on the multiplayer at the time that you know they this the single player game suffered. I mean, hell, I I was playing uh, the single player on three. And I was walking down the uh, the Aquila, which is the ship that you have. As I'm, I'm just walking at a walking pace, and all of a sudden, Connor is launched into the air like 60 feet, and I don't even know why. I didn't I didn't hit the mass trigger. I didn't do anything. It just I was walking, and I was launched into the air without the without even the cutscene for kicking the mass trigger and the counterweight. And he just fell to his death for no reason. Oof. Yeah, that was a lot of that era of gaming, though. It's weird to look back at that because it doesn't feel like it was that long ago because <laughs> it really wasn't. But if you remember, almost everything had to have a multiplayer focus during that Xbox 360 PS3 era like that. But God, it was awful. Like, if even if the game didn't have to have multiplayer, they found a way to shove an Xbox Live or PlayStation network to it one way or another. I mean, truth be told, it's it's funny because even though like there was such a heavy focus on multiplayer, because of course Modern Warfare and three had come out at the time, um, much older uh, by comparison, but like a uh, Halo ODST, um, so you Halo had a lot Halo of like Reach. The, yeah, that was a great one. But you had like the multiplayer modes that weren't really multiplayer. It was like, hey, you're a single player and you are fighting a bunch of enemies on a multiplayer map, and they're all AI enemies, and I love doing that. That was just a challenge for myself. I thoroughly enjoyed playing those modes. Um, I found those to be more enjoyable than multiplayer because then you don't have twelve-year-olds just screaming at you, you know, uttering curse words that they don't know the definitions for, while they're, you know, no, while their exactly. parents are in the next room doing something. Well, and that's the thing. I remember it was just before that era. When you look back, just the era before with the GameCube and the PS2 and the original Xbox, really before a Halo Two and Live. I mean, the Golden Age. Yeah, those, that was wonderful. Yeah, the Golden Age <laughs> when you, you know, you had games like Red Faction. Um, that you could set up a multiplayer match where it's you against a bunch of various AI of different different skill levels, and you could do that in Unreal Tournament back on the PC. Back, God, I miss the Unreal games, by the way. Um, but you know, you I miss the days of LAN parties, man. 
You just invite all your friends over, everybody brings over their Xboxes, and you hook up to, like, some kind of local area network connection, and you're screaming at each other from room to room, Got you, bitch! Yep, they hear you, your parents are up late at night going, Jimmy, shut the fuck up! <laughs> can't dad headshot the noob! The noob's in the other room going, I can't play! <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Those were, that was our youth, and that was back when we were more worried about what it looked like versus what it ran like, which we should have looked at the opposite then as we do now, right? I mean, kind of, but at the same time, we were a little spoiled because we come from a... Well, first off, we come from... Like, I joke that, excuse me, that, that was the golden age of gaming, but, like, truly, the golden age of gaming was, like, our true youth. You know, the Sega Genesis, the Super Nintendo, you the know, watching... The console wars in the nineties, watching the the true inception of of home of of homebound three D gaming, like that was that was really something else. Well, you know, I mean, look, think about it this way: there was a time, not that long ago, still kind of long ago, when you put in Elder Scrolls Four Oblivion, and despite the potato the the smash potato face graphics, you looked at it like, damn, this is pretty good. I still <laughs> and, then, and then five years later, we got Skyrim. We're like, Oblivion looks like shit. Yeah, I mean, I still love Oblivion. I'll be honest. Oh no, um, Oblivion. But... Technically, technically speaking, aside from the from the impact detection on on melee strikes and and the difficulty of killing people uh, in early game, Oblivion's technically the superior game. You can do a lot more. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and but I mean, for us, and I look at it this way. So what we when we were truly youth, we were in what I would call the Wild West of gaming because there was no ESRB at the time. That came along while we were still kids. So it was, was like mid nineties, yeah. Games industry to to regulate itself kind of at the time, and then they did the ESRB after the government threatened intervention, and that may be a topic we talk about a whole another day because that's a whole fascinating story as to what caused all of that. Fuck but, you, Nancy Reagan. Actually, blame Sega and Night Trap. It's actually Sega's fault for releasing Night Trap without a rating, and the depictions and implications that are depicted in that game are what caused I it. I have never, I have neither heard of nor played this game. What are you talking about? So, Night Trap is a game that came out on the Sega CD. It's a full motion video game where it's like a house Ooh. party, and it's all these like girls, and these guys are breaking into the house, and there's implied scenes of rape and violence. Oh my. And this was being marketed to children because there was no rating system at the time. And here I figured Splatterhouse would turn some heads. So we'll we'll talk about that another day. But I, I I say all that because then we grew up in what I would call for the golden age would be when you start the Wild West. I would I, well let's let's go back. Well, the Wild West would really be like <laughs> what we grew up into, like the N sixty four era, where they're figuring out three D. I think the golden age really is that PS two GameCube uh, original Xbox era because of how. First, how massively popular gaming was at that time, as even as it is now, but that era really put it. Almost everybody you knew had a PS2 or a GameCube. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think at that time, too, you could still kind of... I mean, for what it's worth, there's always been that that odd distinction. I mean, now it's cool to be a nerd, of course, and so uh, many of us are, are still salty because we grew up in the time where it wasn't cool to be a nerd, and we were still nerds anyways. That's right, I'm going to be a hipster about it for a moment. I am um, all the freaking time. <laughs> but, you know, now now it's perfectly fine to be a nerd, which is great. I'm glad we're accepted now, but it's like, damn it, did you, did you have to throw my comic books in the trash in the seventh grade? No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, right, maybe but it's not. one of those things but... <laughs> you... <laughs> It's true, though. It, it's popular to be a nerd now. Marvel's popular. DC, 
is popular, even though they, they're subpar to Marvel in a lot of media franchise areas. Oh, know? sure. Um, animated DC still rules. Oh, absolutely. Animated. Oh, it's great. Well, I, I like, I arguably, so animated DC does a lot better with the exception of the killing joke movie. Cause that's a personal preference that we I'm sorry. Even, that, I'm not even going to go into that. I, I prefer the actual storyline of the issues that the killing joke was in. I understand, but another comp, another topic for another. Uh, yeah. That's, that's a whole nother diatribe, but, um, but no DC, uh, DC does a great job with their animations. Um, I really think so, especially because DC, I think, because of the way they've presented themselves over the years, even with their substandard movies, uh, they have done a good job of making it known that they are okay with portraying themselves as an adult company. Um, the DC animated stuff does not show... I mean, for Christ's sake, uh, the Flashpoint Paradox and the DVD release, he, mm-hmm. he literally decapitated Mira, or Wonder Woman decapitated Mira. Uh-huh. Like, I mean, what? She, the... she hung Aquaman up by his throat, if I recall correctly. Yep. Let's not even get started with the, what they're currently airing with the Harley Quinn TV show. That one is definitely... Oh, I've seen some of that. It's so funny. It's so funny. I love That's it. That's on HBO but... Max now, which, by the way, here, real quick, quick a little aside. HBO Max, you need to pick up Batman the Animated Series. You own it. Why is it not on your service yet? Like, why didn't you launch with it? Because Kevin Conroy is gonna sue them. No, probably not. But still, I mean, but that was like so long. I love the Batman animated series. I mean, yeah, you and everybody else. Uh, it's it's pretty yeah, wonderful. It's, it's a, amazingly done, amazingly animated, and we were talking about the PS Five. We were, but you know what? Shit happens. Like uh, we we got into the golden age of gaming. Here, by the way, I'll bring us back to the golden age of gaming. Speaking of Kevin Conroy and Batman, an animated series. You know what's an underrated game? Batman Vengeance for the fucking GameCube. Yes, actually, I agree. Everybody always talks about the uh, Arkham series. Which don't get me wrong, the Arkham series oh, is great. It is amazing. Plus, Kevin Conroy does I, for two out of the three of those games. Actually, wait, hold on. It was, no, Ar- I'm sorry. Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and... No, he did he, I don't he did do he did Arkham, Arkham Origins. Knight. I don't know if he did Arkham he did, Knight. He did Arkham Origins. He didn't do Arkham Knight, And then Mark Hamill the Joker and the ones that he's the jo- that the Joker's in. I know in Arkham Asylum, it's he's the Joker, and it's the, it's the animated series voice cast in those first two games. I know that. Yeah, I know. In Arkham City and Arkham, Arkham Asylum, it was definitely Mark Hamill. I think the last time he played the Joker was in that Killing Joke movie, though. Yeah, him and Kevin Conroy. Yep, absolutely. They brought back that original cast. They're such a good pair. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mark Campbell may get screwed by Star Wars, but DC knows how to show him some love. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. They made him sing. Okay, but... They made him sing Joker. as the Joker. Yeah, but it's the Joker, and he probably enjoyed doing it because he loves playing the Joker. I'm sure. Joker's probably a fun role to play. You can be as devious as you want. But... <sighs> so, back to sci-fi, because we totally went off on a tangent over the rainbow there. Yeah, we went way off. Let's move into something like sci-fi, because we do have sci-fi to talk about, because at Antonio's suggestion, I watched Space Force. Oh my god, so funny, dude. So, was... little, little, maybe, maybe a little known fact for our viewers, because I've never mentioned it, or maybe I have, I don't know, it's been a while, but... Uh, I was in the military, as was uh, as was Corey, and so... Yeah, I don't ever know if I actually have mentioned that on the podcast before, to be fair. So, you know, as, as as insiders for watching Space Force as a parody of the U.S. military, it is 
fucking hilarious. There uh-huh. are so many Easter eggs, so many little inside jokes. And if you're an Office fan, there's a ton of Easter eggs for that as well. Even if it's just like the overt mentioning of a specific name, I think they mentioned Angela in there a couple of times. And I just, I could not separate Mark Naird from Michael Scott in saying the name Angela. And I, I guarantee you because... Um, he and and the other office production cast that work on Space Force, like there is no way that wasn't intentional. Like there's absolutely be. no way. It had to be, but you know the thing is for me, Michael the uh, and Naird isn't even my favorite character in this series. Like he's great, but I really love Adrian Mallory. I love John Malkovich playing. Oh, Adrian John Mallory. Malkovich it is, is fantastic. He is perfect in that role. He is a perfect foil to Steve Carell's Naird, and it's amazing to see how they work together. Oh no, he's he's absolutely hilarious. And um man, I can't remember who plays Captain Ali. She's a she's a newcomer from what I've seen at least. I don't I don't believe I've ever seen her in anything before. I don't I can't remember what I've seen. I know. I haven't I don't think I've seen her in anything, but she was really she did really she's well great. in her scenes. And then uh the Dr. Chan, that was another one. He did really well. I do love I how th- that show foreshadows. Think- By the way, in case in, just just to put it out there. Spoiler. I think his name is Stephen O. Yang. I think his name is Stephen O. Yang. I, I, I can't be sure. I, uh, not, I, not, not to pull from our podcast, of course. I'm a big proponent of Star Talk, and so they talk about it. I believe I heard Chuck Nice mention something about Stephen O. Yang, I think is his name. But he's, I, but he's great. As Dr. Chan, he's so good at playing that role. Especially in the, uh, that, and as you're saying, spoiler alert, you know, the, the first episode when they're talking about weather and he's got the umbrella behind his back. Yep, he's like, he's like, yeah, it's gonna rain. I have an umbrella, sir. They investigate him of being the uh, the mole, and he's like, no, you're just gonna find things for uh, BWAM, <laughs> black woman, Asian man. You and your weird porn is not porn. It's love. It's true. Oh man, and that was such good foreshadowing to that little dynamic there between Ali and him. Yeah, absolutely. And they have, they have great on screen chemistry too. I think they do. They, a, really they do, do an excellent job. But they They're really actually, did, and then you gotta, you can't, we can't not talk about fuck Tony. Oh my god! First off, again, this is this is one of those wonderful things about uh about the the wonderful political satire, and you know, not not to get too heavily into politics, but I mean, it's part of the show. Um, I mean, I, okay, too I, heavy will, to- I will just point it out there that I do love how they never overtly mention anyone by name. Oh no! It's always POTUS or FLOTUS, or they, and it's funny. It's like aside from aside from Mallory, a couple of times they don't even refer to POTUS as the president because they're just making it clear who you're referring to, and like yep. they try to they try to allude to the Twitter handle part of it. It's like POTUS. It's just POTUS. It's, it doesn't doesn't rate the 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 regalia of the president. No, it's just POTUS. You'll find out later when POTUS tweets about it. <laughs> Oh yeah, F- Flota sent over these these uh, runway ideas. She's got she's got a designer oh from God. Paris and one from Milan sending sending ideas over. So <laughs> Ali comes out. Why the fuck really, am I wearing a cape? One of those uniforms really does look like the army's Continental Guard uniform too. Oh my God! Yeah, it's a great throwback. Oh man, I love so that. Good. And then he gets back. Yeah, I expect these all to be gone, and he's got Space Force printed across his ass. And Brad is such a useless character, and I love him. Well, it's even funnier because he's a he's a brigadier general, of course, and so yeah. they're like, I love well, how Nair finally goes Brad. Uh, towards one of the late series, uh, late season episodes, Nair's like, Brad, you're a fucking general. Act like it, because <laughs> he acts like a secretary the entire time because he's only got one star. Yep, which is so good. Yep, because well, truth be told, Tony, even Tony like makes fun of him for only having one star. Well, it's funny because it's uh, that's actually fairly indicative of how like the the culture of the military works. Uh, just for the sake of insight, 
So, yeah. um, not not to give too much. Uh, I, I suppose not to get to give so much context so that I can be too easily identifiable. But uh, when I was in the military, I flew on aircraft, and um, I, I have flown some some high profile individuals, uh, including the novelty of having some generals fly my planes. And so I recall we were transporting some generals, and the general's aide is like a captain or a major. And these are the kinds of people, if you recall your time, like, I mean, for Christ's sake, you see a captain or a major, you're like, yeah, you salute them, you give them some respect, hopefully they, they've earned it, because officers can be shitheads sometimes. <clears throat> Otherwise, so, your butthole pickers, puckers just a little bit if they notice you and they think something's wrong? Just a teeny bit, depending on, on how much tenure they've got. But, like, captains and majors are typically people who are worthy of some form of respect. Um, you know, and there was literally a captain who was dragging the general's bags around, and it's because there's such a chasm between being a captain which in, in our branches were the 03s, and being, you know, a general. And so you've got, you know, a two-star, three-star general, and, and he's having a, a captain drag his bags around and act like his secretary. And so it's it's truly indicative of, like, that, that chasm where it's like, oh, yeah, well, this is a one-star general, and he's still a general, but, you know, he serves under a four-star general, so he's not worth anything, which, of course, isn't true, because a one-star general is still freaking high-ranking, but, you know... Uh, again, one of those one of those fun insider military jokes that uh, brings me some joy. Yes, I do like. Okay, so this is later on when Naird calls directly to the Chinese general, and it's you know this is the way it should have been done before. I couldn't help but laugh because that is exactly how the military operates as well. They'll let the, oh the others God. try, and then it's this is how we should have done before. Yes, mutual respect. Blah 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 blah. And then afterward, when they're done, they start shit talking each other. Absolutely. Okay, so it's Jimmy O. Yang. So I, I, I screwed up there. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to find... Sorry, I had pulled up the list, and then we got off on a, uh, off again talking, so I missed... So I stopped looking. It's Tawny Newsom. Tawny Newsom is, her, is the actress's yes. name, and I and wanted to make sure that we gave her... I want to make sure we gave her the proper respect so, and didn't refer to her by her character name the entire time, because that would have been quite I rude of us. So. Yes, and that's going to lead me to actually want to talk a little bit about her character in particular, because she's really the only one who got a tangible arc. Her and Dr. Chan are the only two mm -hmm. who really got a tangible arc throughout this. I mean, yes, there's an arc with Nairn and with his wife, but theirs is the one that I got the most drawn into, because her changes throughout the series go from being his pilot to feeling good about being black on the moon. Oh, that was hilarious! <laughs> so, but what, what's what, we should we got to make sure we put a, a disclaimer in the comments for spoilers because we're just really throwing them out there heavily. And I think the I, show's I been out. Be, believe me, <laughs> I mean the show's been out for eleven days. So I yeah, mean, but if, spoilers, but that's you, okay. That's you know what they go? They had ten Welcome days to, to watch. Right. They had they had one one episode per day to watch, plus an extra day to catch up. So well, no excuses. Okay, no, but to be fair though, since this isn't going up until. Monday or Tuesday. I haven't decided what our actual release day is going to be at the moment, but since That's we fair. haven't figured out exactly the new release schedule, this going up next week, they'll have they have more time. They do have more time, and they know it. So I, I have no sympathy. Uh, there's I, so for the sake, I guess, for the sake of clarity, I'm I'm in South Florida, so we have a we have a couple of local radio shows that like to you know co make commentary on on the premieres for other shows that come out, and their rule is. No spoilers till Tuesday. But no spoilers yep. till Tuesday meant the show came out on Sunday, which means that's like maybe three days if you're lucky. So, yep. like, sorry, dude, but no. Like, you have 11 days, there's 10 episodes, you're, I'm sorry, and plus plus editing and production time, like, no, nah, you've had time, no excuses. 
and they're only 30 minutes each, roughly 30 to 35, 40 minutes each. They're not that long. I mean, you can watch but it yeah, by so, then. So getting back into Tawny Newsom's character and like their storyline, they're like, she, yeah, she has so, a great, she has a great, uh, a great character growth. You know, there's, it's, it's a great, you know, great maturity that comes into it. And it's funny because she wants to be an ardent military professional. Like she, if you recall in the first episode, she didn't even want to state her rank. She's like, oh, I started out as a first class, and and she used to be in the Air Force, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. before she yeah. became a Space Force person. He's like, I started as a first class. And he even asked her, he goes, oh, you you don't you just don't you don't use the rate? And she's like, uh, sp- spaceman first class. And it's like, yeah, that's right. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm a I'm an officer. I'm a pilot. Like, I just want to do this. And I think you know, so that was that was her bag. Um, and she just kind of got pulled into the Space Force gig. I also but think it was hilarious. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I would say, well, because you get her as his pilot for like a couple of episodes, and then she defies an order that he said to just land wherever he pointed at. So she defied the oh, order. Yeah. He tells her she's on thin ice. He apologizes. But again, spoilers. I'm going to say that every time I start going forward, but I will make that disclaimer because I'm going to have to. Toward the end of the series, he even looks at her and says, I'm going to defy an order, just like you did. So she also, so it shows that character's growth to the fact that she also made that impression on him from being his pilot to seeing her growth. Because, I mean, she starts as sure. a pilot and then she becomes, she gets on the moon after, and I like how quickly it seems, it, it never really tells you how much time passes between episodes. No, it doesn't, because if we're, if we're being realistic here, uh, the average time from rocket launch and getting into low Earth orbit to making a trek to the moon is approximately, if I'm not mistaken, like three days. Yes, and that's just the last two episodes. But remember, I think it was like the episode or two before, like an episode before that, she asked him for help learning the stuff to get to the moon. Right, she asked um, She asked Jimmy O. Yang's character, Dr. Chang. Dr. Chan. If, yeah, Dr. Chan. Sorry, not Dr. Chang, Dr. Chan. I'm, it's a juxtaposition between the Yang and the Chan. I got you. I'm, fus- I'm fusing him with this character. Uh, so, but yeah, to to pass the uh, the astronaut aptitude test, which is so actually kind of funny because like she, well, she graduated with a math degree according to her character storyline. When uh, when uh, Nerd's daughter is is grilling her, she's like, "You listen here, you little bitch. I graduated with a math degree from university." Yep, and here she is asking for help. With, I mean, it depends on, I guess, how long it is and if she was familiar with that math. And if she wasn't, it was a refresher course. Well, it's true. I mean, there's also a difference in having, like, a math degree and, like, you know, learning complex physics and trigonometry. I mean, like, I, I granted, exactly I, can't, it. I can't say for certain I don't have a math degree. My, my degrees are in the humanities, so uh, forgive me for that. But, uh, yeah, no. Um, I, I, but, yeah, you're right. So something we had discussed off offline before we we started this up today was we had talked about the Joint Chiefs the other day. Oh, it was so funny. The Joint and Chiefs humor is some of the best in that entire so show. Great. I just all right. So to get the setup for it, just when they first introduced the the Joint Chiefs, they're like the the, the Coast Guard's like, oh, I'll finally get some respect. No, fuck you. No, you won't get out of here. Fuck you, Coast Guard. Go away. You're finally, Coast Guard. Coast Guard's not in the end of the line anymore, and everyone's like, no, no, you're still the end of the line. And then even, even Space Force is yelling, get out of here! Get the fuck out of here! Oh, That's so just good. exactly how the military treats Coast Guard. That's funny. But truth be told, actually, uh, Coast Guard has the second hardest boot camp out of all the branches. So Yes, they they're, do. They're, all the hatred is not, not truly deserved. 
Um, it is not. It's just it's it's and the truth is with the military, all the hatred that you hear like between branches, it's not really hatred, it's love. It's coded love. I mean it's what I think is we know it. What I what I really think is hilarious is this big rivalry between the Space Force and the Air Force, where of course because it's a TV show and Space Force is like the new nerds on the block, they they portray the Air Force as being this big badass military branch. But then like when you when you compare the Air Force to the rest of the military, everyone's like, yeah, the Air Force is like the cupcakes of the military, and so Air the Air Force is doing these really basic combat tactics, and Space Force is like, yeah, we're just nerds, we don't know what we're doing here. You mean the chair force, right? Yes, I, I, I do indeed mean the chair force. We gotta be proper. To any of our air force, to any of our air force listeners, we're 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 sorry that we're not sorry. Yeah, no, sorry, not sorry. We don't get to ride bikes for our for our physical fitness testing. Wait, they do what now? So my understanding was they had for their for their air force PFT that they could do a I can't remember how many mile bike ride. I that can't be true. There's, I'd there's have no to way look it true. up. I will have to double check, and if it is not, I will strike it from the record. If it is, uh, well, the the purpose the purpose of a PFT and and or a CFT is that like you're you're checking what your physical fitness in a combat scenario is going to be. I I understand the Air Force has lots of amenities, but like I mean, holy hell! Like if you guys have fold out bicycles that you can pull out of your pockets that you can just ride. Okay, I'm sorry, you no, know, it did change. The they used to be able to ride bikes. They can't anymore. But that was up until. Oh, but- yeah, they so, actually used to be able to do that. Yes, apparently the new fit to fight program replaced the cycle ergonometry checks and encouraged everyone to get ready. Oh my god! So it was okay, yeah, you're still you're still catching hell for that then. Oh, yeah, it was a thing again. That's why you get chair force. <sighs> Can't even run standing up. <laughs> nope. God. So this show also has a great supporting cast, and that's why I wanted to bring up the. Joint Chiefs, because the minute you see them, you can name pretty much every one of them and what you know them, and something you know them from. Like, every one of them. So, if you look at, let's see, Diedrich Diedrich Baker, who played the Army General wrongly. I instantly look at Diedrich Bader, and I can actually tell you the one thing that came to mind when I heard him talk was Batman. Not even his role, not even the Drew Carey show or any of that, but in Batman, when he was in Batman Brave and the Bold, as the voice of Batman. It's super recognizable to me now. Uh-oh. I Continue. Okay. No, I'm here. Okay. Continue. Say, you're you're in a roll. No, I'm not trying to take up all your airspace. You seem well, quite passionate about the Joint Chiefs. I was going to let you run with it. I mean, it's just you could actually figure out where you can tell where, where you've seen everyone from. I mean, Patrick Warburton, other than his voice being recognizable as being Joe and many other things. I, again, he's a Marine. He's a Marine. <laughs> Of course, he's a Marine. You know, Jane Lynch, of course, everyone knows her from Glee as the Navy Chief of Operations, who they don't give a name to. Hmm. You know, you have General Strom is Patrick Warburton for the Marines, General Wrongly. You have, for the Coast Guard, it's Admiral Befunt. And, of course, you have Kirk Grabiston. That's a great name. Antagonist from the Air Force. Him, I'm actually not so sure of where I've seen him from, but he's very familiar. He's in a lot of stuff, and he usually plays a villain. Yes, he's never. He's he's got. He's. He, let me put it this way: I, 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 it's such a shame when actors get typecasted, but he's got such a punchable face. Well, Neil McDonough is another one that I could always see playing a villain. 
but I digress. <laughs> this show does have it though. It has a great supporting cast though. Like I'm saying, you know, Fred Willard, his last role playing grandpa, which was perfect. The way he played that role was great. Just a demented grandfather with a very flatulent wife, apparently, who runs away and they abuse government. Oh yeah. To find. Oh my god, that was so funny. He's got, he's got that. They've got that. They've got the caretaker, and he's like, "Hold on, one second. And he calls in the uh, the space force satellites to to get a geo position on his mother. She's at the intersection of freaking second and fourth. So, yeah, the rivalry. I guess we should probably touch more on the rivalry between Air Force and Space Force because that is the driving factor of this, other than China. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good with a uh, Grabist, and he's like, "Space is part of the air." <laughs> Try to bomb it. Just, just that statement alone. Space is part of the air. No, the fuck, it's not. It's just not. It's not. Oh my I goodness. Love the air. Did you try to bomb it? That was well, it's actually really funny because the uh, the so as far as international space law is concerned, which is it's it's kind of this weird extension of like international maritime law where we consider our our territorial borders to be. Um, it's it's the the sovereign borders of a country actually extend out into like outer space. So it's it's just an interesting it's an interesting dynamic. Like once you get into orbit, of course, you can't really claim it. You can't say, oh, you can't put your satellite in orbit over our country. Well, like obviously, there's I mean, I suppose there is controlling that. There's plenty of controlling factors, but you know, it's just uh, it's such an interesting interesting dynamic where it's like, well, I mean, space isn't part of the air, but. It's uh, it's just it's just interesting how they they try to play that uh that superseding authority role. Yes, and I mean at least the show acknowledges the space treaty. I do appreciate that. It does. It does. That is an actual thing. It is indeed an actual thing. So I guess really what it's going to bring me down to is the reason I watched Space Force was to try to talk a little bit about space agencies in general because what we get here is indicative of more of what space travel is like in modern day. Versus everything we've talked about sci-fi so far with Star Trek and Star Wars with, you know, intergalactic spaceships and federations that are only preaching peace and not trying to figure out how to bomb the Chinese on the moon and, you know, poke holes in their in their habitat with wrenches. So I guess it just gets me wishful that, you know, what are we going to actually see from space travel in our lifetime? Do you really think we're going to go back to Mars when they say they're going to? I mean, I mean, back to there? well. Not back to the I should say back to the moon by 2020. What, 2024, I think, is what they're targeting for the moon? Allegedly. I mean, if, if we're really going to get into this talk, uh, truth be told, like, I mean, I... I so, I, I have an aviation background, so I can't just help but, like, gush at the fact that SpaceX just launched in, with the, the, you know, the, the Falcon rocket with the, uh, with, with the Dragon uh, crew capsule... They they docked like it's the first private space industry to actually dock with uh, one to launch off U.S. soil like that, and then to 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 dock with the ISS, um, winning a, an internal space race between them and Boeing, because uh, the last time that the shuttle launched in 2011, they took an American flag up there, uh, they folded it up, and I think it was uh, I, if I recall correctly, it was like the same American flag that had flown up on the Apollo missions, and they put it up in the ISS. And they knew that that was the last shuttle mission. And so basically the idea was going to be that, like, you know, whoever was the next person to go up there uh, from American soil was to go and, like, retrieve that flag. Yep. Actually, that's one of my favorite stories about this. And so SpaceX totally won it, which is great for me. Um, But, I mean, I've been been doing a lot of research recently on the, uh, the... 
is it, is it, I believe it's called Blue Horizon for, for Amazons. Um, or for rather, excuse me, for Jeff Bezos, it's not Amazon's. Uh, but the the Blue Horizon, then of course Boeing's got their Starliner project, and then of course SpaceX with their their Dragon capsule. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm, I'm very curious to see where Boeing goes since SpaceX is already there. I'm very curious to see because you don't, I'm not seeing as much media coverage as I do about SpaceX's. And I think well, that's Boeing, one thing because of who is doing SpaceX's is why it gets more coverage because of who it is, Elon Musk. So. Boeing actually needed, so they, they, they were more or less neck and neck. But as a part, as a part of development, uh, they were Boeing was forced to go into review about nine hundred lines of coding, and this was like several months ago. And so to really review nine hundred lines of coding just to get back up to to compliance, that would have turned into some kind of really big issue. Um, with them keeping on timeline to make the launch. And so SpaceX, just by the nature of that, inherently won it. But I think that it's also because of the approaches. Um, you know, and, and granted, each company approaches it differently because each company has a different mission. So I'm not sure if you're aware of, of the missions of each of each of the companies as, in regards to, you know, their involvement in space. But uh, so SpaceX is trying to create uh, an interplanetary species. Elon Musk really feels that there's an urgency to getting us to be an interplanetary species uh, to try and beat out our 500 million year timeline for the sun, you know, kind of just taking a crap on itself and eating half the solar system. Um, proactive versus reactive. Essentially, but I mean, we're, you know, we're American, so we'll sit around for 500 million years drinking beer until the sun actually blows up, and then, you know, at the last minute we'll figure something out, and then, you know, this is we're going to launch. <laughs> right. Just you know, just you know, just, as as the solar flares are eating us, we'll decide where that's time to you know develop something for launch. Uh, so yeah, Elon Musk is trying to be proactive on that. Uh, I believe Blue Horizon is uh, is just trying to do something a little more commercial. Their idea is to you know create space tourism, but I believe Jeff Bezos's uh, long term goal comes from uh, from sci fi, uh, and it's it's a theory and and a, and a design we've seen a lot in different sci fi mediums. Uh, it's the space farm. It's the you know the Gundam space colonies that, that uh, surround Earth in orbit. It's Blue Origin. Blue Origin. Blue Origin. Thank you. What yeah, was Blue Horizon? You know what I'm thinking of? Blue Horizon. Uh, you know what? Is... Blue Horizon. The Pluto mission or the or the Neptune mission is what that was. That was a yeah. that was a NASA mission. So I've actually pulled up their website. So one, it's of course you know the same thing that SpaceX is doing with reusability is number one. But right. There. So NASA apparently. On eight in April, selected Blue Origin to national team to return humans to the moon. Really? Yeah, because it includes Lockheed Martin, Northrop, Northrop Grumman, and Draper is the group that is with it. That's their team to return back. They wanted to be on the moon, and for millions of people living and working in space is their goal. Well, yeah. So, the, so Amazon. All of their that, goals are honestly. I keep saying Amazon. It's Blue Origin. It's not Amazon. They're different companies with the same owner, but. Um, what would Blue Origin, from my understanding, whereas SpaceX is staying very internal, they're developing a lot of their own technologies. They are. Um, and and granted, they are they are adapting certain uh, certain engines that are already pre-existing uh, into their own into their own framework. Uh, SpaceX is very internalized, whereas Blue Origin is using the vast network that Jeff Bezos has more or less created. Uh, you know, through through Amazon and different subsidiaries, uh, to to really bring in a lot of that talent. So yeah, you're right. They have brought in you know Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, um, a lot of these very large 
uh, military aviation contracting companies. And so he's kind of working off of the experience of everyone else. Uh, and so while their progress is very incremental and they're not putting out anything as dynamically as SpaceX is, uh, what they are doing that is really interesting is that they are reusing parts in different ways. So for instance, uh, and, and again, I'm, I'm butchering it because I'm not, I haven't studied up on their particular systems, but if I'm not mistaken, the same O2 canisters and fuel canisters that are on the rocket system are the same ones by design that are on their command modules or their landing pods. And so there, there is an interchangeability to the Blue Origin hardware. So uh, that you're not necessarily finding. So it's like they're they're maintaining a consistency and they're kind of innovating with whatever it is that they've got on hand. They're um, also and, and, apparent, go ahead. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm, you know, like I said, I pull up their website. I'm actually looking. So I I looked at what the new she new shepherd is for them because it's something on their website. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's and apparently, rocket. and apparently it's also space tourism. So it's an 11 yep. minute flight where you'll float above the line and then parachute back down into West Texas. Yep, that's it. That's that's so, their plan. And their, their their whole thing is about having big windows, uh, yeah, you know, I'm all sorts of stuff. It. Yeah, I was uh, I've been I was looking at plans for their abort their uh, their abort pod, which is um mm -hmm. it's it's quite interesting, of course, you know, because the the dragon. But so you, I don't know how much you know about rocketry. You have pushers and you have pullers. Uh, the abort pod, uh, from what you've seen from like the Saturn V rocket, we have like an abort tower. That's a puller where the Correct. rocket boosters are actually located in the tower's hood, and it pulls yeah, the command a, module. Yeah, like, um, so. Out here with NASA being here, every time I go, that's actually one of the things I like to look at on the rockets because the rockets they have, like the Mercury rockets with the capsules and such on top, and actually the mm -hmm. Saturn V they have preserved still have that on there. Oh, very cool. And it's super cool to see because, yeah, it's exactly what it was back with the Apollo, Mercury, uh, Gemini era. Since they didn't really have the way to propel it the way they did, it was a puller. It was like a, a almost like a tow system. It was just bolted on with a rocket where you had to just ignite it from inside the capsule to pull, break it apart to get off. Uh, yeah, basically. So the, I mean, the the way that the, the way those those modules worked is um they it's literally and it's crazy how archaic the system is. If if so, it's it's basically a series of three wires running down from the top of the tower all the way through the length of the rocket. And if at any stage of the of the rocket booster there was a malfunction that was considered to be critical, uh, it would just send the signal through this series of three wires, and it would just you know ignite up at the top of the tower and and pull the the command module off of the rocket itself, which is just crazy. When you think about it, because it's such an analog way of doing things, and it's it's interesting now. I mean, again, you know, my my experience as an aviation professional is is I don't want to say it's 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 not limited, but you know, I don't have a I have five years. It's not a long standing twenty plus year career in aviation, but I'm fairly knowledgeable. It's like you think about some of the stuff that we did, like in the fifties, you know, in in trying to in these early days of of attempting to get space flight even before 1969 and the Saturn V rocket. Yeah, and you realize how many west of space days. Really, the, the, the true questionable itself. practices. Is, <laughs> you look at some of these, like the Mercury rockets. The Mercury rockets had a massive window at on the command module yep. uh, with, a with, a, with a polar system. And you're like, yeah, let's not put rockets that burn it at like 1,000 degrees next to a glass window. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's uh, and seeing those things up close. I've, I mean, I know you've seen those capsules up close, and it's just amazing to think that got us to space. 
some of them we have the uh, luckily that's it's it's actually kind of an ironic thing we're talking about this and we're talking about space because of course you know and again for transparency for whoever's listening you're in Houston and I'm in Florida and so exactly. of course like you you've you've got the Houston you know of course Houston we have a problem the Houston Command Center and we have the Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral here and of course it, you know if, if you're a Floridian and you live here you know for the it, Kennedy Space Center is kind of like Disney World like everyone's been there at least once in their life if you're from here so like yeah I mean it's 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 just crazy. We we have a lot of it here, and it's just so nuts to see you know the kind of innovation that brought us. Have you, and I, I've never actually seen the space shuttle live because they've got the I think the last space shuttle. Um, not of course not Challenger Columbia rest in peace because those are those are in pieces rather. Um, I think I want to say is it Discovery? I think, I think it's, it's Discovery it's that they've Discovery got at the Smithsonian. Endeavor. I think Discovery is at the Smithsonian. I think you guys have Endeavor. I don't know what shuttle we have. I I don't I don't recall ever seeing a shuttle live because when I was a kid we were still using shuttles. Um. We have the <laughs> shuttle mock-up. So we have the one that was used as a mock-up and training, like, sim shuttle. That's what we have here that they repainted and put on top of, because we, we got the uh, shuttle carrier. But so it's interesting here, when you look at you the shuttles, though. Through all of that. So the shuttles, the difference between, of course, like an airplane and a, and a spacecraft is, and it's, it's, a, it's the kind of thing people don't think about. So an aircraft is, is made of, of some form of, of solid alloy material, um, you know, whether it's composite or, or aircraft, aluminum. Um, occasionally some stainless steel, but not really because it's really heavy uh, as far as aviation is concerned for your, your power-to-lift ratio. Um, and so when, when we're talking about, like, you know, a, uh, an aircraft, aircraft tend to be solid. They're, they're, they're load-bearing because you still have the force of gravity to contend with. A spacecraft, though, like, I didn't realize until I did more research, more recently even, that the space shuttle is literally made of what's essentially space age paper mache it's it's a bunch of these crazy it's it's a framework that's that's wrapped in these crazy reinforced blankets for lack of a better term just for the sake of of you know layman's terms uh it's they're they're wrapped in blankets that are essentially coated in a in a material that's uh that's resistant to the radioactive um to the radioactive waves that you'd find out in space because of course you're in a vacuum so you're not protected by the atmosphere yep and the you can't actually walk in the space shuttle you'll you'll break it you you will literally fall through the floor of the space shuttle if you try to walk in it because it's made specifically to be in space. And so the only part that you can that you can really sit in is your seat and like a couple of specific load bearing areas, but the rest of it you'd fall through. Yeah. So actually, with the one they have out here, when since they have it mocked up to walk through, and I'm sure they've done it on the others, they actually have railings installed on it. So you actually have platforms that they've gone in and installed to the to the frame, so that way oh, you very can cool. walk through it. Um, they actually did that out here too with the Skylab mock-up that they have because we have a full-size mock-up of Skylab. Awesome. Oh man, next time you're in town, we're gonna have to go to NASA because you're gonna love it, dude. If, oh my god, they do tours. We're we're gonna be there all day. You know that, no, right? I understand. I need an excuse to be there all day because every time I go, some people that I go with want to leave early. But see, we have this hall of history where it's actually got you know up on the ceiling above you. You look up and there's one of the actual Mercury capsules just above you hanging up. Do you, you remember know, what happened last capsule. time we went to a museum? Yes, this one you can touch yeah. the window. <laughs> and then they have tram tours. So the tram tours will take you to mission control and then to some of the training areas, um, the vacuum vault. So it's actually got this air, this big door where you can go in and it sucks the air out to experience for training and figuring out equipment, the vacuum of space. I'm gonna be such a dork. Like I'm, um, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna call. It, I'm just to, gonna... and I don't know if they still do. They used to take you to the water training pool so it was a giant pool filled with water to simulate weightlessness to train with objects for spacewalks 
I'm going to be such a dork. I'm going to wear my NASA t-shirt. I'm going to be such a dork. You can buy one while you're there. I have two. Thank you. Yeah, but this, these are the ones branded for Houston. <sighs> you know you're Needless consumerism. It. Get that shit out of here. You say that, but you know you're going to buy it. Probably. But it's awesome to go because they're always doing different things. The Space Center itself is geared toward getting kids into space, so they always have rotating exhibits and like where kids can drive little miniature Mars rovers and their own little mini mission control. So what you're saying is we're going to sneak in bottles of scotch and then we're going to get on the mini rovers for kids, even though we're in our 30s. Got it. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen. You don't understand. I go to NASA. It's like going to Disney World. I am a kid again. I'm like, oh, let's go look at this. Hey, look, the Hall of Space suits. This is really cool. <laughs> hey, look, here's a pair of short of swim trunks and a Hawaiian shirt that they brought on an Apollo mission. That's awesome to me. By the way, for our listeners, uh, keep uh, keep tuned to our Instagram and Facebook pages. I have a project coming up this weekend, uh, which, of course, by the time you guys get a hold of this, it'll already be posted up. But there's going to be a, a fun gallery of a space-themed project that I'm going to be involved in this weekend. And it's going to be silly, and you're going to have a laugh at my expense. But it's going to be great. So stay it. tuned for that. I can't wait to see it, because my weekend involves mowing the lawn. Oof. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm also painting I'm, a miniature that I 3D printed. I showed you pictures of it. I'll have to post them up on Facebook and Twitter because you did. That's pretty cool, by the way. I'll have to. It, that that thing came out pretty sweet. Well, we uh, filed him down. The wife uh, filed him down for me, so all he's all primed and ready. So I'm going to this nice. weekend take some time to sit down and start applying some paint. You should. Uh, you should definitely go get some of that, like the the gray model primer to get like, have, some good shading in. Actually, it's got the the. So my wife actually paints the uh, Warhammer miniatures i don't warhammer she doesn't warhammer but she really likes to paint them does she really yeah she painted an entire elven like horseback brigade what i had no idea she did those things that's crazy she likes to paint them like she doesn't play or anything but she really enjoys painting them so I'm we have some D &D minis yes i really actually i'm actually looking at buying a 3d printer now <laughs> I understand. Oh, I looked at the pricing. They're actually 200. They're only about 200, 200. They're a decent one I can get for 200 to 250 bucks and build it myself. Now, how crazy is that? Because if you, like, as, as early as what, five years ago, that would have been five grand out of your pocket easy. Yes, but now look I love at technology. how affordable it is. I could easily do that and just start printing and selling miniatures to people. You could. You could. That's definitely a thing. And you can start making widgets. Start figuring out other things to make. How fun that would be just building. Other things. things. So if we have any female listeners, by the way, he'll print other things. So you don't have to go to Spencer's anymore. He will print you other things. I'll shape them like the uh, <laughs> mock-up of the logo you sent me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's 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 more girth than length. I don't, well, I don't, I don't think you'd appreciate that. I don't know. Some, some people. people. Uh, uh, we're off track. We're handle. talking about space. Well, uh, we're talking about a different kind of space. We're talking about spaces between things, and I mean, then yeah. what will fit in those spaces between things. This is, this is still a physics talk. It's a loose one, but it's still a physics talk. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> God has nothing to do with this. No, not anymore. So, something else I watched. I'm just gonna bring it up. Was I did start watching Lost in Space at your suggestion. I'm about. Four episodes through the first season, and Will Robinson's a bitch. He gets better, I promise you. Like, I, I, I don't know if that was done by design. I really, really wanted to strangle him throughout the entirety of the first season. And somewhere in the second season, of course, there's a time lapse, like always, in, in any good show where it's like, oh, well, this was, 
this was year one, and then like eight months later, then we start season two. So there's all sorts of development we haven't seen, but like he's like, I, I want to say he's maybe like a quarter of the way through puberty at this point, and he's kind of sacking up a little bit, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm not a scared little kid anymore, and I'm like, great, I could have totally used that attitude last season, but alright, good on ya. So, I like the robot. I like the way they did the robot in this one. Is it great? It it's, is great. It's definitely a good robot. I mean, compared to what you see as a lot of robots, it's a good robot. They did really well with it. Um, and by the way, I, I have to I have to put this out there. Not that I doubt that they'll ever listen to it, but the uh, it's not a slight on the actor that plays Will Robinson. He actually does a great great job of playing Will Robinson. If as as far as the writing and the and the casting and everything was concerned, you know the the purpose. It's it's very clear that as far as the writing was concerned, they wanted him to be you know a scared innocent child. You know they make certain. And by the way, Lost in Space it has been out much longer than Space Force. So spoiler alert for at least on my end from here on out. Um, I don't. They, they I, I, I guess I gotta. I'm not gonna ruin it for you. No, I don't I care about spoilers. That's the thing. I'm not a big person who cares about spoilers because you're gonna tell me it's happening. Even if I if I like the show, I'm gonna watch it anyway and be like, oh, okay, so that's why that happened. It makes sense well, because it's, you may it's spoil basic the character moment, development. But but you see, you spoil a moment, but you don't spoil what builds up to the moment. Sure, and that's the bigger burn for me. You know. You can tell me, you know, like, for example, spoil the, it's not even a spoiler anymore, but, you know, the reveal of Darth Vader being Luke's father. That's a Wait, spoiler. What? But what leads up to that is what brings you to that moment, and there's a reason for it. So finding that out, yeah, that's a big pivotal moment for Luke Skywalker's character. But what leads up to that's also a pivotal moment for Luke Skywalker's character, more so than that scene is itself. I really had no idea that Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father. You're, you're kind of a jerk for that. Thanks. I'm sorry, so you're going to whole... hate it when you find out that Ray's Palpatine's granddaughter. <gasps> what? Oh, wait, I'm sorry, those movies don't Oh, and, and uh, spoiler alert, Anakin, you know, at the end of the uh, prequel trilogies, Anakin becomes Darth Vader. That's my fake surprise. So... Yeah, I mean, so the point being is, you know, it's basic character development. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna throw out any individual twists or anything because I'm not that kind of person. Uh, on on some, well, you know, I care, I care about my co-host. I don't care about you guys. Um, that's not true. Appreciate it because probably by the time we record next, <laughs> I'll have watched a lot of this, and I'm sure you will have those things. But no, it is actually it's just basic character development. So I mean, like you know, you you hate Will in the beginning because of course Will's a child. You know, I don't I don't even recall how old he exactly he's supposed to be. He's like ten. You know, I don't expect a 10-year-old, whether he's a space-faring, whatever the hell or not, because, of course, at this point in our timeline, or as that Lost in Space is taking place, space travel has been quite normalized. You know, I mean, they're, 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 their mission is to get to Alpha Centauri, and if you know anything about science and space, like, Alpha Centauri is quite a ways away, so that means that they've had to have found some way to either figure out FTL or to put you in some kind of, like, hyperstasis where it doesn't make a difference, and you're just well, not going to age inside of a chemical chamber. So, you know... Either way, but he's like he's a you know he's a ten year old child. No matter what generation we're in, with the exception of maybe the Middle Ages, where like you know you might not live to be ten. Uh, you know, a ten year old child is not expected to be an adult or maintain the the maturity of an adult. He's a child, and so he's faced with some unique challenges. Uh, and he's kind of a little nerd, and I understand I was a little nerd. Um, so you know he's he's having a hard time. Uh, but that being said, in the second season, he does come into his own. Uh, I think that he becomes a much better character, becomes a much braver character. Well, and they have to show him this way because they set up in this one showing that his mom made a backhanded deal to get him accepted. Right. And also remember what I told you, though. All right. It's a family show. 
because and 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 you're seeing that four episodes in there's there are adult themes there are suspenseful moments there's a lot of action but there's not a lot of violence there's no it's, nudity and there's no, almost no cursing there's almost no cursing there's very there's a lot of suspense and cliffhangery type moments that go between a lot of tension there's very little gore it's more implied like when they are venting her leg um right exactly to gore you see her make the cut and see it, the blood beating and starting to come and then it cuts away and doesn't show it again um exactly you know it's things like that you know the fire going off being a tense moment but there's nothing overtly violent exactly but um, and so the like, show is it's a family show but lost in space has historically has been family oriented anyway right and, and you know for for our fans who don't know you know it's lost in space is literally just a space opera version of the swiss family robinson and and quite li- and it's quite literally like the name Robinson, like everything translated over. It's a literally a family yeah. of Robinsons that are lost I think somewhere. It's funny that the father's name in Swiss Family Robinson is Will. <laughs> I'm sure that was actually a nod. That 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 can't be by coincidence. No, it's probably not. It had to be a mo- a nod. But I just I've always enjoyed that fact um, that it is just that. I mean, it's it is. It's Swiss Family Robinson in space with a robot. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 so it's overall, I think that, and I think they did a really good take on the show. I think that what there's, there's so many nuances and granted, like a lot of, a lot of shows, this is not a, a new topic, whether it's lost in space or it's, um, another life, which is another great sci-fi show. If you haven't checked it out, you should, uh, I'm trying to remember there was another limited series that was really similar, um, about a spaceship that was of course on, on its way to Alpha Centauri to start a new a new organization of humans, uh, but they all—they're all basically like trapped. Like everyone on the ship is more or less trapped in a in a weird sci-fi version of the '60s. Um, There's a limited series on Netflix, but I believe it was adapted from a Sci-Fi Channel limited series, sure. or, or rather ported over. Um, and it's really good. If I can recall what it is, I'll I'll, I'll say it, and we can put it in the description below. Um, I'll have to take a look for it. Um, but yeah, I know so what it's, I'm told about the Expanse. I haven't actually gotten a chance to watch that yet, but I, I have heard a lot of really good things about The Expanse. Yes, I keep hearing really good things about it, and particularly very vocally from a mutual friend of ours. It's true. He has, and for, for all the things he doesn't like, he likes The Expanse, which means we should probably take a look at it. Yes. So that'll be something that's on if my If you're listening, back. we love you. I don't know if he listens. You know, I have tried to get him to come on this thing like a bunch of times, and he never does. Maybe with you here, now he maybe will. He'll probably just say it sucks. <laughs> no, he'll listen to it and be like, "Dude, you guys need to stop being Nintendo's." It'll be like we didn't even talk about Nintendo. Doesn't matter. I know. Well, maybe we could talk about Nintendo for a minute because I did pick up Hyrule Warriors, which is not something we're talking about at all or plan. But oh my god, it's so because it's so not much. sci-fi. We'll talk about Hyrule Warriors another time because it's a great game. Yeah, it There's runs so much better on the Switch than it did on the Wii U because I actually had right? it on the Wii U was playing it the other day and noticed how much better the frame rates are on the Switch. And I know it's a thing, it's the hardware that it came out on versus the Switch hardware, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, but it runs so much better. I can actually play multiplayer, and it makes sense because it's split screen, which makes it easier to orient where you are. Absolutely. No, it's uh, I, I I do thoroughly enjoy. Uh, Hyrule Warriors on the Switch. It is it is definitely a, a favorite game of mine. Um, but if we can just just for the sake of of having a sci-fi element, uh, if you like those kinds of games, those Dynasty Warrior there style is, of games, check out check out a Fate Extella Link. That is a that is a fun one. If you're a fan of the Fate series, which is all very magical and mystical, until you get to uh, Fate Extra. I think it's Fate Extra. 
uh, where it gets it gets it's still the same concept, but it's more technological. Um, you know, and so Fade XL Link is a, is definitely a fun game of that same of that same style. Yeah, while we're talking about games, here's a conversation we really didn't get a chance to have last time. Mass Effect is such a great sci-fi game series. Yeah, I was kind of hoping we'd get into that, except there's there's one big problem with Mass Effect, uh, and it's Andromeda. So I don't actually count Andromeda as part of what I would talk about to cover Mass Effect, because for me, Mass Neither Effect is Effect 1, 2, 3. One, I haven't played Andromeda. Two, I don't want to play Andromeda. Three, maybe I will if somebody gives it to me for free. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would, honestly, because if, if someone gave you a terrible game and you knew it was a terrible game, and they said, hey, man, this is a terrible perversion of a series you like, you want to play it for free? I'd still say no. I, I'd be tempted just so I could play it myself. But no, Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 told a perfect story. It did. It really did. I mean, it doesn't hurt that you get to design Shepard and make all of his choices, but that's, I guess that's one of the brilliance of that game is it does much like it did with Knights of the much like Bioware did with Knights of the Old Republic to bring it to another sci-fi game. The element of being able to shape and go good or evil, you know, Paragon or Renegade with it, or try to stay neutral and your relationships that carry over between the game. It's true. No, Mass Effect is a Mass Effect really is a fun a fun series of games. Um I, I do like the uh I, I just I don't know, it's how can I put this properly? It's it's kind of like Man, I, I don't want to compare it. I don't want to make it a sci-fi version of Elder Scrolls because I think that's also like I don't think that gives Elder Scrolls enough credit. Um, and and yes, I know I know Fallout is technically that, but Fallout is like well, so, well, Fallout is sci-fi. It's dystopian. It's not like sci-fi as we understand it. It's not like sci-fi as we're going with. We're not doing a dystopian science fiction thing. It's right. It's, of, not, it's, me, not, yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not spacey. It's not technologically advanced. Like aside from a Pit Boy, like. I mean, the, the Pip-Boy is the most advanced thing you really find in my opinion, of course, aside from, like, Juggernaut suits and things like that. But, like, the Pip-Boy is more or less the most advanced thing you really find in Fallout. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. That's where you get, like, the Outer Worlds, I think, that, that, that's out there now is more like a Fallout in space, essentially. I haven't played it yet, and I heard the uh, Switch port's really bad. I also heard that, and I, I was really saddened by it because I really wanted to buy it for the Switch. Um, that's what I was I, waiting for, but now I may just go ahead and download it on the PC. Uh, yeah, I feel the same. Um, but at the same time, as I as and and forgive me for this because I have heard that it's a great game. Um, as I watched video coverage of Outer Worlds, the more of it I watched, the less of it I wanted to play. Like if we're gonna go, if we're gonna go, like if we're gonna play one of these, you know, shoot and loot games in space, just by my own personal preference, because I love this franchise. I would just pick Borderlands, because I love Borderlands. Which was, I don't think it is anymore. It was free on the Epic Games Store. Borderlands 2 was not that long ago, um, with the uh, pre-sequel. It is, but, and of course for the Switch, because we're, we're, you know, we're talking about the Switch so heavily, uh, the, the Switch has the Handsome Collection, um, and while I'm really glad for that, because uh, of course those are, those are the best games so far, uh, I, and, and even understanding that Borderlands 3 disappointed heavily for a lot of people in a lot of ways, I still want to see Borderlands 3 on the Switch because I want to play it. I get it. I mean, I'm glad they're bringing Borderlands to the Switch. It's actually a franchise I don't know much about. Um, so it's like a franchise I'm actually looking forward to since I grabbed it on the Epic Games Store to get into because I grabbed that when I was researching Unreal Engine for work. Well, I mean, essentially for, for Borderlands, you are a, you're a vault hunter. You're on a planet called Pandora, and this is just the first game. 
Um, mm -hmm. And you're 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 not even sure as to what the treasure is that you're looking for inside of said vault. It's a very nondescript kind of treasure. Uh, you just know that you are a vault hunter and that you're there looking for said vault for said treasure. And that's pretty much it. And everything in the game kind of just leads you into that through a very loose storyline of open world quests that you can just kind of accomplish on this desert planet in space. Um, oh. And so while it's, it is still kind of dystopian, I think that it does a better job of bringing that kind of techie, spacey feel to the fore. You're not really fighting mutants so much, so much as you're fighting aliens. And it, it does do a good job of giving you that feel, uh, well, both anatomically and functionally. Well, and I mean, and it has robots, so you can't go wrong. And it has robots. Dancing robots. You know, another really good sci-fi game that I don't think gets enough attention, and I know it recently had a reboot, but Prey on the 360, the original Prey. I was never a Prey fan, so I can't speak to that specifically. I just remember one of the most vivid scenes to me is in the beginning. Don't fear the Reaper is playing in the game, and as you get abducted by aliens, it slowly starts kind of fading and distorting the song. Hmm. And it was just very touching. I remember that vividly, and I think that was a great scene. I haven't played the reboot, though. I actually had the collection speaking... edition for the original, and got the little I've had the little figures and everything for it. I mean, speaking of sci-fi games that do a good job of uh, changing a lot of music and musical styles, Bioshock is excellent. Bioshock is a great game. That series is... Right, to be fair, I haven't played Infinite. I never did get around to playing Infinite, but 1 and 2 are masterpieces. And there's plenty of people who will disagree with me. A lot of people you know, really like the originals. Infinite's my favorite. I thought Infinite was awesome. Well, I could understand. I mean, again, I haven't played it, so I don't know. I mean, it's more of like, to me, I think Infinite has more of a steampunk feel than, well, they all have a steampunk feel, but I guess more of one to me because it takes place on the Sky City. That's about, that's about all I know about it. That's fair. Um, so basically, you, um, you play this character, uh, you, you are in said Sky City, and of course everything's in, in true Bioshock fashion. You know, it, it, it gives you the air of mystery as you start up. Um, you go into the city. You are attending a carnival. Uh, they are doing a uh, the I'm sorry the the barbershop quartet covers of like Beach Boy songs. So just to just to, like really set the scene, it's all really serene okay. and very okay. pretty, very picturesque. And then like you get to this fair, and there's a, a, a and this is just the beginning of the game. There's a proceeding on the stage, and they're you know bringing up this kind of like crime judgment deal. And they're throwing rocks and baseballs, and then someone hands you—I forget if it's a rock or a baseball. I think it's a baseball. Someone hands you a baseball and like tells you that you're supposed to throw it at this woman who's like strapped to a stake. And uh, I think it was like a black lady, and she's part of the resistance. So it was the, she's part of the the vox the vox populi, um, which is a resistance group. And it gets more into that. Um, and you're supposed to like throw the baseball at her. And so of course your character refuses, and the cops get all like, "What the hell?" And <laughs> So right there, that, that begins the, the sea of violence that your, your character is thrown into. Okay. You know, have you or did you ever play Shadowrun back on the 360 or Windows Vista days? I did not. So Shadowrun was cool because it's based on the popular uh, tabletop game series. But you had, mm -hmm. you know, different classes. You could be an elf, uh, an orc, and all these different things had different abilities. It was just a multiplayer shooter, but it was all basically take high fantasy in a world where... 
evil corporations are the rulers and the evil corporations are controlled by dragons. And that's the world of Shadowrun, essentially. So this little game was a first-person shooter between the factions where you're playing as elves against elves and like had your different abilities. And it was... I got really into Shadowrun for a long time. Interesting. It, but it was a lot of fun. Different maps, like your elves, they had you could get really up close and do swords. Um, I think your orcs were very were tanky, so they took less damage and had a powerful melee attack and just different things like that. You had gliders for your double jump where you could glide around. And of course, you had your standard military weapons too. You know, I do have a question with uh, with Zelda being the way it is now. And I only, I, it only comes to mind because you mentioned gliders. With Zelda being the way it is now, is it a sci-fi game with all the technology that's in it? You know, that's actually a really good question because the way Breath of the Wild sets up is almost like a fantasy sci-fi epic in a sense because of the technology set in that fantasy world. And it's not even that; it's because consider this. These are people who are aware of what magic is. They, they, they un- there's a clear division between technology and magic. All right, so z- what Zelda has as an innate power within herself as, as the, the holder of the Triforce of Wisdom, that's magic. They make right. that clear. But what the Sheikah have is technology, and they also make that clear. Like the Sheikah Slate is technology. All, this, all, the, the, you know, all the Guardians are technology. So all this shit is technology. Like all the, the Blue Flame in and of itself is technology. And so they're aware of this. You know, like they, they harness this power, turn into these things, and they control it autonomously. And I mean, you know, they, they shoot lasers and stuff. And so the, you know, all of the, uh, the, the guardian temples, you know, the shrines rather, um, you know, all that's technology. And, they, and again, they, you know, they make it really clear. So there, there's a distinction between magic and technology. So it's, you know, is it is it indeed a, a sci-fi fantasy game? I mean, and that's a good question, because historically speaking for the Zelda franchise, if you go back, there is always some kind of, like, technological aspect to it, in a sense. I mean, the Sheikah, since they've been around since, what, Ocarina, there's always been some technological thing they have. A lot of your more high-tech gadgets, like the Hookshot, or some of your more, like, the Flint of Truth, are all Sheikah items. So it's more of a technology over magic type thing, even though the Lens of Truth uses your magic meter. It's true. But so it's weird. It's it's a very interesting conversation to think about because the Sheikah would make that more, at least as the Sheikah of Breath of the Wild would make Zelda moving forward more of a sci-fi thing on that aspect because of the technology, the autonomous guardians that are basically, well, robots in a sense. Yeah, exactly. Um, Well, not to mention we have other robots. Remember when you go to, um, I think it's, well, you have man, the shrines I actually... themselves are almost... Well, it's not just the shrines. Consider when you go to... Mechanical, um... Man, I can't remember the... The, the, the beasts. The four Akala. beasts are... Yeah. When, you, when you go to Akala, the, the uh, Akala village... Yes. Uh, and you've got, the, you've got the robot. You, you give him... That's true. If you, if you, if you give him ancient, uh, ancient cogs and pieces, he'll make you artifacts. He'll make you things. Yeah, you have the, the... robot. Yeah, like the Sheikah robot things. Yeah. Exactly. So I guess looking at it, I guess I guess we'd have to see what they do with the sequel they're making to Breath of the Wild to see if we can really qualify with Zelda's going in more of a sci-fi direction. I just Dude, don't want to Zelda see Link in space. space man. I don't know. Do you really want to see Link in space? I do, but I don't because it like I, it would be awful. It would just I know it would be fucking terrible. But at the same time, I mean, like I like how they I, revolted when they took it out of Hyrule and put them in Skyloft. Right. Well, I mean, but. I like Star Ocean so much, so like, why wouldn't I like Zelda in space? I know. I mean, granted, Star Ocean's meant to be that way. It's it's quite clear. It's like, oh, Star Ocean, oh, it's fucking space. Yeah, it's space. <laughs> but I mean, 
you know, if, if I can do Star Ocean, which is a series that I, it's a, it's a franchise I don't like as much as Zelda, even though I really do like it quite a bit. Why, like, why, why not have my Zelda in space? I mean, you've got a point, but I think originally speaking, Metroid was kind of meant to be that Zelda in space kind of game. Don't get me started, because I, honestly, I want to talk about Metroid 4, but the fact of the matter is, there is no Metroid 4 to talk about, because they haven't said anything. They've been so okay, tight-lipped so, let's since they fair, said they were going to redo Metroid everything. 4. There is, but there's nothing. There's a Metroid Prime 4, but there is no, there is no, no Metroid no, 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 Prime no, no, no. 4 to talk so, about. You understand that actually in chronological order of Metroid games, that the fourth Metroid game is Metroid Fusions. The Prime series is its own thing in lore, that actually it is Metroid, Metroid 2 on the Game Boy, Metroid 3, which is Super Metroid, Metroid Fusions, which is Metroid 4. I, I understand that, when I'm, but what I'm talking about is Metroid Prime. Well, you know what, why don't we just talk about Metroid, because it is sci-fi. We can talk about Metroid. I'm okay with that, I love Metroid. I, I need to get the 3DS one, which is just a remake of Metroid 2 for the Game Boy. But, uh, God, I love yeah, Metroid series. Yeah. I mean, Nintendo doesn't like it, but the, uh, I think, what do they call it? The uh, a- ASMR? AMR2. No, 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 ASMR. Another stupid Metroid remake? No, it's another Metro. It's AMR2, another Metroid re- Another AM2R. Another Metroid. Was it AM2R? Remake. Okay. The, the, one, yeah. the, the non licensed one that was better than what Nintendo ended up coming out with. Yes. That they sued the over? That, yeah, that was another Metroid 2 remake. Okay, I thought I, for some reason I thought it was like ASMR, like another stupid Metroid remake or something like that. But either way, it was great. No, ASMR I, is not like this. I know that. Yeah, that's ASMR. That's that's different. That's different. I thought but, it was a play on words. But but um, well, I've just shown my ass to the entire podverse, but that's fine. It happens. But, it does happen. Um, I can't know everything. The Metroid series is one of those series that, that I will tell you it's it's a very difficult game series. Well, yeah. Like, when you look at Nintendo games, you have your easy, medium, and hard games. Your Mario series is your easy games. Unless you play Mario Maker levels designed by fucking sociopaths. Then you have your Zelda series, which is kind of your medium challenge game series. And then they had Metroid, which was their here. Go fuck yourself. Um, kind of. I mean, at the same time, like, there, there are aspects of it where I would totally agree with you, and there's other ones where I won't, because, like, some Metroid games I play... And it's kind of one of those things of, like, oh, you think this is hard. Well, then you shouldn't be playing video games. So, like, well, for instance, true, but... Metro- Metroid Fusion, Metroid Fusion get, is, is not hard until you get to a certain boss. And, like, yes. then it's hard. But, I mean, overall, like, the, the, games, the games are fairly self-explanatory. Like, one thing I think about Nintendo, which is, it, it differs from other companies, and you're right, as far as their first-party... Uh, their first-party product, I would say that you're absolutely correct. I think that Zelda would be that medium, Mario's the easy, and then Metroid is the hard. Um, but at the same time, like nothing Nintendo puts out is terribly difficult uh, because Nintendo first-party content, they, they still tailor it towards children. And so like if you're, if you're an adult and you're having a hard time with Metroid, like you should probably put the controller down. And I don't actually mean that because, of course, like no gamer who loves gaming should put their controller down. I don't mean it like that. But and like, it can be difficult in spots when you get stuck or you've been playing for hours at a time. You make well, it sure it can, but that's 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 when you take a break, have a beer and a nap, and then you re, you know you you recoup and come back. Right, or you get stuck on a boss fight you can't beat for a while, so you just have to put the game down for a couple of days and come back to it refreshed. Essentially, it happens to all of us. It's the joys of being a gamer, though. You can always overcome those challenges. True, but that also being said, though, Metroid 2 is 
not the worst, but definitely one of the most tedious Metroid titles. Only because there is no set goal. Your goal in Metroid 2 is to just kill the Metroids. And I don't even recall how many there are. I want to say there's like 28, but I'm probably off on that number terribly. But it's like you just have to run around and kill these 28 remnant Metroids. And that's that's the game. Well, a lot like of that is limitation of the Game Boy too, though. And and I and I agree with that. I, I I own the game when it came out for Game Boy, and it was and and you're right. It's totally that. But it's like there's no mother brain. There's no any of that. And and it's so it's just you know it's it's there's there's very little in the way of even like a discoverable storyline because of course again limitations of Game Boy, like you don't even get the exposition of you know a mission statement. Like if you've ever actually played Metroid Two. You, you have no direction. You really you, you, don't, because... You turn the game on, you land on the planet, and the game starts, and you're playing, and you're just running around blind shooting things. Well, like, at the very least, in other Metroid games, they gave you some form of exposition. They told you, uh, you know, what you needed, where to go. They gave you a text box, you know, something. In Metroid 2, you get nothing. But that's also, again, limitation for the Game Boy. Because, um, I mean, in Super Metroid which it's weird that Metroid is one of those rare game series that actually counts that portable one as mainline canon for it. It's true. Because Super Metroid picks up after those events where the last Metroid's now in captivity and here you are going through Planet Zebus, going through Mother Brain's chamber into more of the planet. Then you get into Fusions where it's all different. Then the Prime series, which is a whole nother great... Metroid Prime is exactly what Metroid needed when it came back. A first-person experience with like that. That game, that was a game changer. That showed you what Metroid could be. And that first-person experience, though, is what I think sold it for me. I spent hours playing Prime, just exploring the areas and seeing everything I could because it was beautiful. I mean, and, and I agree with you on that. You know, it's, and it's funny too because Metroid Prime, and man, it's such a harsh criticism. And I don't, I, 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 there, I don't mean to say it as harshly as it's going to come out but I don't have better words to articulate how I feel about it. Metroid Prime is something that starts off really strong, and it starts to drop off the further they went into it. So, like, Metroid Prime 1 was awesome. I have oh, very yeah. few complaints about that game, especially with the limitations of the GameCube. I have really... I, I, it's not a perfect game. There's no perfect game, but I don't have very many complaints about Metroid Prime 1. Metroid Prime 2 starts to kind of go off the rails a little bit, but still maintains a quality. It's an excellent game. Metroid Prime 3, I don't even know what the hell I was like. I I just didn't enjoy it nearly as much. I felt that a lot of it was convoluted. I felt that there was backtracking that didn't need to happen. I felt that, you know, you, you are aimlessly wandering around for certain checkpoints that you didn't need to waste time aimlessly wandering around for. Um, and that that's just a that's a personal perspective. I just thought it was it was kind of not great. Uh, I'm very hopeful for Metroid Prime Four, especially because uh, one they brought the Retro Studio back uh, to work on on it, the same team for Metroid Prime One, uh, as opposed to who I think they had the people from not Fusions, but um, ugh, what was that? One oh, and two were both retro. Right, but there was a really awful studio that came in to work I on three. One, no, not necessarily three, but there was another installment of Metroid that came out, and I'm trying to remember what it was. We don't talk about Team Ninja doing other M. 
Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking yeah, about too. I think they were about, no, we don't talk about other M. Other M doesn't exist. Other M is a bastardization of the Metroid franchise series that makes Samus a weak fucking heroine and this in, in fucking damsel at time. Wrapped yeah, up that in was, that was bad. and it fucking pussified her character, and that is not Samus Aran. Yeah, no, they, that that really was not good. Um, the combat was dumb. The graphic, all right. You know what that game had? Nice character models. I'll give it that. For a Wii game, it had great character models. The rest of that game was pretty shit, and I will go play older games. Yeah, what I one thing that always threw me off, and it's the first thing that immediately turned me off to the game, was that she's fought Ridley multiple, multiple times. And all of a sudden, now Ridley comes in and she has this, like, this traumatic PTSD. Oh my god, Ridley! What? You, you shoot him in the face like you did for the last ten games. But that's character development, Antonio. Character development. They've got oh, to give it, her a reason to, have, to be a damsel in distress. Uh, no, because that's Team Ninja. No. They couldn't make her boobs bounce, so they made her a damsel in distress. That's, even that's terrible because Team Ninja knows better because they have Kasumi and they have Ayane and they have all these other different awesome characters from, from their other Team Ninja's franchises that are super strong heroines and they could have just left it alone. You know, Ugh. for games, though, I often always wonder how much Nintendo had to pull in that game to get it that way as well. Because I always wondered that when you're developing a game as big as like a Metroid as an outside studio like Team Ninja was or when Capcom was partnering with Nintendo on the handheld Zelda game. But those were still good. Yes, but I've always wondered how much influence Nintendo actually has on those things. I don't know. Because obviously they had no fucking influence on the CDI games. Yeah, we don't talk about those either. No, we don't. But obviously they had no influence there, so they tightened it up. Because those Capcom Zelda games, oh, those were fucking phenomenal. I mean, Minish Cap's a great game. Not sci-fi related, so I'm going to steer away from it. But... You know, those games were great, but then you look at the Team Ninja Metroid partnership, and you're like, "Well, what is this shit?" I mean, Minish Cap was excellent. That that and uh, that's that's in my that's in my top five Zelda games. Oh, I Minish love Minish Cap. Great game. So I have a question for you. Maybe you can answer this. Is Bayonetta sci-fi? Um, man, that's a hard one. I'm I'm more inclined to say that Bayonetta is a is is a fantasy kind of like magic game. But I mean, and and granted, of course, before we get all the comments in the section where it's like, "Oh, well, didn't you watch uh, the Marvel movie where?" Technology and magic are just, and just yes, I know, I get it, I understand what your 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 this point there, Marvel. but like, but this isn't, Marvel. it's not, it's not, not but it's not Marvel. Marvel. It's it, we're we're talking about something else, you know, um, but yeah, I think I think you know we're talking about a witch whose entire you know power suit is made of hair, like because she controls spirits and fights demons. She just happens to be a gun wielder. Like, no, I'm pretty sure that uh, I'm pretty sure that it still counts as like a fantasy. Like it, yeah. I guess you're right because it's one of those things where you've always wondered. Because I guess it, it's also one of those series that could kind of almost blur that line at time with some of the things it has in it with the machinery that can be in that game. Well, think of it this way: Bayonetta to me is like a parallel of Devil May Cry, and so I mean, it's it kind really of like, and so, and so it's kind of like, yeah, like there, there's there's plenty of technology. Like, yeah, Dante carries guns. Uh, so does Nero, and he's got a crazy, you know, there's crazy technology going around. They they mix their magic and their technology. You go into, like, a lab that makes clones and, you know, homunculi that, that suck up magic like batteries, and you got to kill these things. They're magically charged, but it's all, like, made by science. So, sure, like, we, we find a juxtaposition there. I believe it. But at the same time, like, if we're talking about a genre. If you say, hey, what's Devil May Cry? Is Devil May Cry sci-fi or is it fantasy? Well, you're more it's likely, fantasy. if you've played... If you've played the entirety of Devil May Cry, you're more inclined to lean towards fantasy because it's mostly demons and shit. 
Yeah, no, that's right. Exactly. Like when you said that, it's it's fantasy because it is. It's the story of a demon spawn, and it's about him fighting demons and and magic things and evil and yeah. So I guess you're right when it comes to that comparison. Bayonetta is more fantasy. So my me. Wow, the meme community really is just not being kind to the PlayStation 5. No, it is not. The PlayStation 5 <laughs> looks like a Wi-Fi router. I mean, we're going to bring it full circle and jump back onto that because we can go I'm sure, dude, but I don't mind it. It, it dude, I, I I I like it. I don't I like I like quirky shit though. Like, dude, look, if we didn't like quirky shit, all right, the GameCube would have never made it. The GameCube is one of my favorite consoles. I love that little that square little So do I. I still have mine. I think it's great. I love the GameCube, but my point being is that it's weird. It's a quirky little thing, and people don't believe it until you show them. But the GameCube had the best graphical power out of the big three. It was its graphics uh-huh. were cleaner. Its graphics were cleaner and better than Xbox and cleaner and better than PlayStation 2. And that's not to say that individual games weren't coded to be better, because some of them certainly were. But by and large, GameCube was a better machine for what it did. Did it play DVDs? Absolutely not. It didn't do any of that. But did it play video games really, really well? Yes, it did. And it connected to the Game Boy Advance. Well, and that's the thing. So the GameCube, if you go back and actually pop in a GameCube title today, it holds up a lot better than most of your PS2 or Xbox games. Compare, sure it does. Compare a first-party Nintendo game from the GameCube era to a Microsoft Studios or Sony first-party game and compare it just graphical quality between like God of War, Twilight Princess, and Halo. Twilight Princess actually is probably not the best comparison. That's for the end of the life cycle. Let's go with Mario Sunshine. I mean, Twilight Princess is still pretty great. Yes, but let's go more fair toward the beginning, closer toward the beginning and middle of of the cycles like those other games came out. They all came out around that same time frame. So let's stick with that. And you compare the way those games look. Yes, they're different different art styles in general, but the actual graphical qualities of Sunshine look so much better in modern today than those original releases do. Now, oh yeah, Sunshine those, Sunshine's great. Now all of those but Sunshine have been had an HD re-release in recent years, and Sunshine still holds up with those releases today when played on original hardware. Well, because they're not gonna, they're not gonna have to release an HD version of Sunshine. They're just, like the only thing you're gonna have to do to truly make it an HD version of Sunshine is just allow for the proper resolution to match my widescreen on my TV. Like that's pretty much it. Yeah, Nintendo, Nintendo has this weird quality, especially with their first party games, to make them always look beautiful. They always stand out so much better than anything else on those consoles. And I know a well, lot it's of also that because has they to do with them knowing the hardware inside and out. And that's exactly what I was going to say. It's because they understand the coding. They understand what they have to do to get the most out of their machine. Oh, but it's also that they pick a distinct art style for their games. The original Wind Waker release on GameCube holds up so well today because of those cel-shaded graphics. And I remember when that was a big controversy back when it came out. Well, sure. Because Well, th- look, you can blame the tech demo for that. The I tech demo had th- a lot to do with it. The, the tech demo the tech demo showed us Twilight Princess style graphics and then what we got was a cartoon Zelda and again I you know I was upset about it in the beginning but then again I was much younger at the time um, you know now I, I look at it and I'm like this is great I love it I appreciate I appreciate it for exactly for what it is I love the Wind Waker I actually have the H- I bought the HD port on this on the on the uh, Wii U and I actually would love to see them bring those HD ports of Twilight Princess and Wind Waker to the switch I would love sure, to see absolutely. that. I know you'd appreciate to see that too, because you oh, love yeah. Twilight Princess. 
I mean, I, I love Zelda in general. It's the closest thing I have to religion, but that's neither here nor there. No, we'll, we'll do a Zelda theme when we get more info on it. We'll Zelda a lot more than we already have on a sci-fi podcast. It's true. Is that our new theme of our podcast? Is Can we relate it back to Zelda? It's a, six degrees of separation. Yeah, how far does it Me- How long does it take us to get to Zelda? We've said it for about an hour and a half. That's exactly what it is, you know. So, uh, you know, let's see. So, Me- Meg Ryan was in uh, You've Got Mail with Tom Hanks, who was in Apollo 13 with Kevin Bacon. And somewhere Kevin Bacon just happens to, you know, go back to Zelda. We'll find a way. Kevin Bacon is friend. Kevin Bacon, I think, knew Robin Williams, who named his daughter Zelda because he. Zelda, that's right. There we are. There we are. You see? And there it is. Really, we just have to six. De- we have to do. So we have to get to Robin Williams in five degrees to get to Zelda. Essentially. We can do this. We can do this. So, anything else you want to add this week, or are we good? Uh, I mean, honestly, like we'll we'll go for the next four hours if we really keep going because there's just so so much like that. Like, I mean, look, it's a, it's a sci-fi summer, all right. It's on a sci-fi night. I know we could keep going, but I guess we need some time to rearm to discuss to to figure out what else to discuss, and so that I can watch more Lost in Space, so we can actually have a proper conversation about it. Yeah, absolutely. I would like to. Uh, I would. I would really love to break down some of like the science and 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 I guess there. You know, some of the, the preparations that they use in the show, I found a lot of it to be interesting, especially because I still haven't figured out what a chariot runs on. You know, yeah, <laughs> so, that's a good question. I do like that in the first episode, Will shows his worth immediately by suggesting magnesium because that's where the blue flame came from. Sure. Absolutely. That was really cool. And it is, it is a nice practical application of science aspects, too. So I'm actually excited to watch it and see where it goes. Yeah, it's a great show. I, I think you'll really enjoy finishing it up. And who knows? Maybe from there we can talk about robots and sci-fi in general because there's a lot of cool robots in sci-fi absolutely oh yeah we, we could do we could do a whole series of uh, you know a three or four episode series on just robots well that may happen but until then i guess we're gonna sign off for now sounds good so we'll see y'all well i don't know we haven't really discussed discussed a release schedule yet so we'll see y'all in the next episode yeah all right take care guys